Welcome to The Word in Life. The following message is by Pastor James Detweiler. Additional sermons and other resources can be found at thewordinlife.com. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to feast on your word, open our hearts and minds to receive all that you have for us, spiritually awaken our souls to the reality of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. May we hear, see, and taste that the Lord is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are almost finished with the sermon series, 2 Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, not entitled by accident. That is the most important thing that Paul is communicating to Timothy at this point in his life when his time is short. He is emphasizing that the most important thing, even when death is just right around the corner, is to remember Jesus, to fix our eyes squarely upon our Lord and Savior who can sustain us till the end to endure difficulty and hardship. Let me ask you, what do you think the most important thing in in life? How you are born, how you live, or how you die? What's most important? How you're born, how you live, or how you die? Or maybe put it this way, the past the present, or the future. Life in the here and now or the legacy that you leave behind. You could describe that legacy as finishing well. And I think for the world in general, but especially for followers of Jesus, there's a tension between the here and now, the present, how we live, but also the future that we long for. Because we don't know when God will call us home. I could drop dead at any moment. Like a race, there's a start, there's a finish, and there's an (laughs) in-between. But in that race, we want to finish well don't we? You might consider that being fulfilled. Finishing the race well, a sense of fulfillment, fulfilling our divine calling. You'll remember last week we heard these words from Timothy chapter 4 verse 5, as for you, Paul is saying, always Be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So we want to feel like what we are doing in the present will be fulfilled in the future. And that brings to mind, well, how do we know if we fulfilled our ministry? How do we know if we uh, have fulfilled what God has called us to? How do we define success? What's the measure of one's life? Now, we have, I think, most of us, been raised in a culture that describes success, fulfillment, in 
quote-unquote, the American dream. Now, that's changing. But still, there's that sense of satisfaction and accomplishment in, and again, what's described as the American dream, which tragically, the success often is measured in terms of people and possessions and often not peace with God. How much stuff I can accumulate, how many uh, good things I can accomplish, maybe how many relationships I can have. But where is God in all that? We, we find ourselves in a God-ignoring culture which defines success often superficially in, in the here and now versus what is true and good and right and eternal. So let me just ask you, what measuring stick are you using when we think about how to live now but also finish well? What measure of success are you using or will you use or that God wants you to use? Now surprisingly, we look at Paul in the New Testament. We look at his life as recorded in the book of Acts and then his letters. And we've, if you've been raised in the church, I mean, we put Paul on a pestle as a super apostle, as a, as a wonderful example of Christian life. But I want you to, to see that that's not shared by the world. The world considers Paul a failure. And not just they consider him a failure, but they, they want to punish him because of his failure. He must be punished. He will be executed for his faith. Because a godless world wants to shame Christians for their quote-unquote failure by, by not living up to the world's standards of success, but not living the way the world says to, to live. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in his presence. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus didn't come to deliver the American dream. He came to turn things upside down so that his followers would live counter the culture and pursue his measure of success versus the world's measure of success. So that no one will boast before the Lord by the world's measure of success. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's why today's message is entitled, A Life Well Lived, Finishing Well with Jesus. A life well lived. I believe all of us want a life well lived. So how do we do that? How do we finish well with Jesus? So as the creator, God defines the measure of one's life. Okay? He's the ultimate definer. He's the creator. He designed all of this. So let's turn to him first to define success. 
And if you follow Jesus, ultimately you cannot fail and will finish well. Okay? Ultimately, no failure in God's eyes. And you will endure to the end and finish well. So let's get into the text. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those who keep the faith will receive a glorious reward in eternity. Those who keep the faith in Jesus Christ will receive a reward in eternity, a glorious reward. Paul is passing the baton to Timothy and remember his charge in the preceding verse. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Does that mean that that Paul's ministry, his life is fulfilled? Well, almost. And he knows it. Time is short. He also knows that his life is in God's hands. Every single second is in God's hands hands. That's why in Proverbs we read, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Or James tells us in the New Testament, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. A bird in the tree does not fall dead unless God wills it. (laughs) Unless God's sovereign over it. And you, as his creation, human beings, are of much more value than a couple of sparrows. Based on that sovereign goodness, that God is in control of all things and that he is perfectly good and great, you can live life to the full. You can take great risk and experience incredible reward. But in Christ and for Christ, okay, that's not a blank check to do whatever you want apart from God or to pursue success how you define it apart from God. It's in Christ and for Christ. Paul says in verse 7, I have kept the faith. Okay? His life calling will be fulfilled because he has kept faith with Jesus. And what lies on the other side, which keeps Paul and also us running and fighting? He says in verse 8, the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness Rightness, vindication before an unbelieving world. Imputed righteousness from Christ and through Christ. How we can stand before a holy God and not melt away because of His holiness. Because Christ gives us that rightness with Father God. And again, that vindication that the way we live life now is worth it. This is from the Lord, the only true righteous judge. That there will be a judgment. We will give an account for our lives. But those who keep the faith will receive a crown 
the victor's crown of righteousness from God who judges rightly. And again, Paul, the super apostle, almost perfect Christian, is he the only one that receives the crown? Do saints only receive the crown? Do chaplains only receive the crown? Do super Christians only receive the crown? No, every single man and woman that follows Jesus will receive their reward. The crown of righteousness. It's to everyone in Christ, every believer, all those, and look at the text, who love his appearing, who have loved the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, okay? The person and the work of Jesus, who he is and what he accomplished on our behalf, dying for our sin and being raised from the grave. The return of Jesus, his second appearing, when he comes again to claim from the world his own, to recreate, to, to bring in a new heaven and a new earth, the consummation of all things. Those who long for that will receive the reward who love his appearing. Because everyone doesn't love his appearing. They didn't love his appearing 2,000 years ago, and they certainly won't love his appearing whenever he comes again. Look at the book of Revelation. There are many who don't love his appearing. Why? Because they want more time to live life however they want to live life. And in Revelation, those who reject God and the coming of Christ cower in fear and hide from God because they want more time. And they don't want to face God in judgment. After all, the person who doesn't want anything to do with God in this life, why would they want to be with God into eternity in the next life? Heaven would be hell for that kind of person. The reward is for those who love his appearing. And there is reward right now. Abundant and eternal life right now. Radical joy in the midst of incredible suffering and hardship. We know that Jesus said this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, God the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life, abundant life, is, is found in relationship with Jesus right now and into eternity. So there's reward now, there's reward then, but it's in Christ, it's for Christ. Those who keep the faith will receive that reward. And that includes all of you if you are in Christ. The second takeaway is this. You will finish well because of the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. You will finish the race, fight the good fight, keep the faith because of, get this, not your own wisdom, not your own strength, not your own uh, ability or capacity, although God uses all of those things, God will keep you in it and get you to the finish line. Let's look at the text picking up with verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. 
but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is guaranteed. God will bring it about. This is guaranteed. God will bring it about. Paul is being sustained in prison. He's in chains right now, writing these letters, encouraging the church. So God is using other people in Paul's life to minister to him in his most desperate time of need. But Paul, he's not just receiving, he's giving. He's also thinking of others and ministering to to them. And that's how God works. The people of God, the church, is the divinely ordained vehicle for identity, community, connection, and care. Identity, who you are, connection with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, community, a place to belong, and care, care for one another. That's what we find in this place with these people. That's how God is using all of these things to bring about his good purposes. Paul's got tangible needs so that he can maximize his time. He says in verse 13, bring the books and the parchments. Last week, we looked at the role of the Bible in following Jesus, that we find Jesus in Scripture, that Scripture should should be a source of life to help us to fulfill our ministry and finish well. One of those tangible needs of Paul's at this moment. Opposition is likely. Opposition is likely. Verse 15, beware of of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. This Alexander who did Paul great harm. Guess what? Following Jesus ain't easy. Many oppose the message of the gospel. Therefore, many will oppose you if you embrace the gospel. You will be let down. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. Paul stood alone before whatever governing authorities were judging him at that moment that put him in jail. No one showed up. So where's the hope in that, Paul? Where's the hope in that? Well, look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I love all of you. But if I can only pick one person to come to come with me to court, who do you think I'm picking? Jesus Christ. Okay? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And to what end? Paul, what end? Just so you could enjoy a few more days alive? <laughs> no. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued. The purpose is the gospel. Whatever time that Paul has left, he's going to share Christ with others. In Philippians chapter 1, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So whatever time God gives him, spares him from execution in that moment, saved him from the lion's jaws, whatever time he's given, it's for a gospel purpose. To live is Christ. That means the main thing about life is Christ. Because to die is gain, actually. To go off into eternity. Heaven. Forever with God. So whatever time we have right now, it's about Christ. 
It's about Christ. That's the end that Paul is speaking of. Again, this is guaranteed. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Really, Paul, we know you're about to be beheaded. Maybe days, months, years from this moment, but he ends up martyred for his faith by the Roman authorities. So how can he say the Lord will rescue me from everything? How can he say that? It's not true. He, he's martyred. He's not rescued. Well, how are we defining rescue? Ultimate rescue, ultimate need, and ultimate good. <laughs> Again, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Don't fear the one that can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill the body and soul in hell, the creator God. What can flesh do to me if I trust in God, the creator? Ultimate rescue. Paul's ultimate need, his ultimate good, that's what God guarantees. Paul and you will finish well because of the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. I want to read Jesus' words in John's Gospel, chapter 17. But when you hear these, I want you to personalize them, okay? So whenever you hear Jesus, because in the context, he's, he's speaking about the disciples that he was with on that night, and then the immediate uh, disciples in the church and those who would believe later on. So that includes us. But I want you to personalize it so that you hear Jesus speaking these words to you. Jesus says, I have manifested your name, he's speaking about Father God, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Again, personalize those words. Jesus is speaking of that over you. I have kept them. I have guarded them. I have lost not one. Not one. Jesus doesn't lose anyone. That's why it's, it's guaranteed that you will finish well because of the sustaining power of Jesus. He loses not one of his little sheep. Not one. If you are in Christ, that includes you. Again, as the creator, God defines the measure of one's life. If you fo follow Jesus, you cannot fail ultimately and will finish well. I love how Paul concludes in verse 18, to him, to God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, doxology is quite appropriate at this point. If, if you are familiar with Paul's letters, he, he, he gives these theological uh, treatises. And then just spontaneously, it seems, he just bursts out into praise, doxology, giving God glory. These wonderful gospel indicatives which prompt his worship. 
So it should be with us. When I start reading scripture, when I start hearing good preaching about all the things that are true about God, true about Christ and how uh, it impacts my life, I want to praise also. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when we think about the measure of our lives and fulfilling our calling, I can't help but think about affirmation because that plays a part of it, right? A sense of affirmation. And we've got to ask, because Paul is God-focused in this moment, to whom will we turn for affirmation? The creator of the creation. I'm not saying we don't encourage one another and affirm one another. We certainly do that as the people of God, spouses, children, parents, co-workers, friends, family. We do that. We, we affirm one another. But, but who's the most important source of confirmation? The creator, not the creation. And this creation, it's so tangible. We can touch it and feel it. It's so near. It's like right now. And, and for us to want the affirmation of a creator God whom we can't see or, or a savior who lived 2,000 years ago, for us to want that kind of affirmation from that source, it requires a supernatural awakening, okay? The spirit of God must awaken someone so that they want that. They see that, they hear that, they receive that, and they choose the affirmation of the creator God over any earthly affirmation. And when that awakening happens, you begin to develop a relationship with God and see what success looks like. And he comes alongside you and he affirms you. He gives you that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. Are you operating under this sovereign God who promises to reward you with the crown of righteousness and keep you till the end, then you cannot fail, ultimately. You, you will endure to the end if you follow Jesus. Is it because you're so great? <laughs> no, I'm not very great. It's because he is so great, okay? And his reputation is on the line. Jesus promises, I have not lost one. So if he loses one, oh, that's a bad look for Jesus. God's glory is on the line. His goodness and His greatness. That sovereign God will keep you from ultimately failing and finishing well. You can run the race. You can fight the good fight. You can keep the faith. You can finish well. Jesus keeps you in it. Real-time life. He keeps you in it. And He will see you to the end. Now, when I went to officer training school they make everyone run a 5K, okay? And when you're in your 40s and haven't trained very much, that's hard. And I remember running the race, and at the finish line, there's all these people who have finished well before me, and they're coming. They're, they're cheering on the people to cross the finish line, right? So there's that encouragement. And then there were others who had finished the race who went back and ran it again, alongside those who were struggling just to get to the end. That's how it is with Jesus. 
he's already at the finish line. He's clapping, he's cheering us on. But he's also running alongside us and whispering words of encouragement. And what's really exciting is that he picks us up when we fall down and can't run anymore. He puts us on his shoulders and he gets us across the finish line. He'll pick you up and he'll carry you too, for he loses not one of his chosen people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good word. We thank you for this truth. May it change us. May it invade our heart and mind. May we see Jesus, the sovereign Lord, who sustains us, who keeps us. May we submit to your definition of success. May we turn to you for affirmation first and foremost. May we allow you to determine how we fulfill your call on our lives. That we can run the race, fight the good fight, keep the faith, and finish well. May this be the day of salvation, that that some who are not in the race get in the race because you grab onto them and you put them in the race so that they also might receive the reward of righteousness someday. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us at The Word and Life. If you've been encouraged by this message, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to check us out on the web at www.thewordandlife.com.